Hey there, Matt here. Before we get started, just want to let you know that we will be sprinkling some book knowledge into our podcast. Don't worry, they will not spoil any aspect of the story. They're just more supplementary. However, if you're a person who absolutely hates book reader knowledge in your TV talk, then this podcast probably isn't for you. Also, we're sorry. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy Dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. This is really, I, like, I thought about you a lot after I watched this episode, and I was really disappointed that you missed out on it. And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. Well, I do know that the one emotion that comes to most people's minds when they think about me is, in fact, disappointment. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Hey there, Matt with you here on Before the Dragon podcast. Thanks for joining us this time around for an initial reaction to Season 1, Episode 9, The Green Council, written by Sarah Hess, directed by Claire Kilner. So a couple of returnees from this season earlier, writing and directing once again. Interesting episode for me. And I just want to give a couple of program notes for this week right off the front. Sorry to have to be all business oriented right up front rather than being fun or get right into talking about the episode. But my schedule this week will not allow me to record with the panel. That does not mean that I will not have a podcast later this week with all of your feedback. So please do send in your three words, do send in your brothel mates, do send in your thoughts, do comment on our YouTube videos because we definitely want to hear from you and I will cover everything that we've gathered feedback wise in a podcast later this week. I just don't have the time to spend with the panel this week to record and then edit and do all of that. I'll be kind of hodgepodging recording here and there, putting things together as I can. And that's just the way that it goes this week due to my schedule. I apologize for that. I can't change my life. Uh, any more than you can change yours, but I will try to accommodate you as best I can by getting all of your stuff in. I definitely will have a musical segment. This episode was full of so much great music. I can't wait to talk to you about that later this week as well. And I suppose with all of that, I should just let you know that if you do want to send that feedback and get it to me by Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific time, to make it into the podcast later this week so that I can share it with the rest of our community. I love your thoughts. Your thoughts are always better than mine. Uh, I love to hear from you and I really appreciate you taking the time. How do you do that? You ask, you've been talking it up so much. What, what do you do, Matt? What do you do? Well, you send tweets to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter, or you can send emails to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. M A T T S audio blog all strung together at gmail.com you can also go to the website which has the same spelling m-a-t-t-s audio blog dot com and you can either leave comments on the web posts themselves or there's a contact form that you can use that contacts me with your thoughts as well the last way that you can leave comments or whatever is at our youtube channel on any of the videos, I always check, you know, at least the last 10 videos for comments that are new or what have you. And I will include them in the next week's podcast stuff, the feedback later this week. 
Uh, how do you find our YouTube channel, which by the way, we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe, uh, hit the notification bell so that way you know when we release new videos and all of that stuff. But subscribe, uh, like the videos if you like them. I guess you can do the down thumb if you don't. That's fine with me. I don't know how to stop you from doing that if that's what you want to do. Uh, but you search for the word before the dragon podcast. And that way we're all together on the same page. You're getting notifications by hitting that bell that I'm sending new stuff out. You comment on it and I get notifications. And that way I know what you said and I can share it with the rest of the world. All of that said, let's get into talking about this episode. So where to begin? I guess with a rating. I'm going to give this 8.9 out of 10. It's pretty low for me, actually. But, uh, I mean, the amazing dragon ending and the excellent music probably brought this up from what would have been an 8.5 for me, which is extraordinarily low. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's still a fantastic episode. However, I know the showrunners have been saying that they want us to love and hate these characters at different times throughout the course of the series. The problem that I have, I'm going to do a bad Sean Connery impression here, but I would just like for them to try and resist the temptation to play both sides so closely together in the same episode. It's really tough for me to emotionally jive feeling a little sorry for Aegon because he never wanted this and he just doesn't feel like he was ever loved. And he actually uses logic to conclude that Viserys wouldn't have changed his mind the last minute. While at the same time, being such a bleephole as far as his entertainment cravings in Flea Bottom. And you also have Alicent, who you can clearly see grieving the loss of her husband and making her very empathetic. But then she condemns one hypothetical murder of her friend Rhaenyra, yet condones another in terms of Masaria. I mean, if you just spread this kind of stuff over a couple of different episodes, then I think it comes off a lot better instead of the way that it came off to me of just being these wishy-washy, conflicted characters. And I get the immediacy of responding to Viserys' death and how that would cause some kind of weirdness in just about anyone. You know, you, you, your emotions and everything are all, all over the place. But the extremes were just too much for me, and they were too centrally concentrated in a 24-hour period. If that was the point, I didn't get it. I just got turned off by it. But, as I said, some fantastic music. I've got so much music to talk about, which will probably consist of a lot of the later-in-the-week podcast that was just beautifully done. The acting was fabulous. Don't get me wrong. The acting was fabulous. That's why I felt these extremes and you know that's a tribute to the good acting that happened in this episode and there's a certain level that all game of thrones house of the dragon stories have to them that will never make me hate an episode but it will make me like some more than others remember that i was the guy who absolutely loved season eight of game of thrones and there were a heck of a lot of people that disagreed with me on that i get that I, you've got your reasons for that that's fine with me but i'm a person who just thinks at the core of the story no matter how it gets told or by whom or what the outcome is for these shows is superior than most 
everything else that you're getting on, getting on television. I will admit that in the last few years, because such a high level has been presented by HBO in terms of this entire franchise, that other franchises are catching on and in some places surpassing this particular franchise. But still, at its core, it's a story that I love and I really love as a book reader, some of the changes that they've made. I have no criticisms of any of that. So if you're going to be even more down on this episode, I certainly don't blame you. If you're going to be way higher than me on this episode, I don't blame you for that either. I think these things, as they always have been, are subjective. But my rating comes to an 8.9 out of 10. Here's a big headline that I got out of this episode. This war that we can all foresee coming for the entirety of the season, this war that we're now at the brink of, is clearly the fault of Rainies. <laughs> now, I can't really say that with a straight face, but you think about it, she could have just taken them all out right then and there. She had a dragon. She could have wiped out the whole court. Wouldn't have reflected great on Rainies or Rhaenyra, but if you're going to go to war, people are going to lose their lives. And maybe I'm sounding like Tywin Lannister right now, but kill a few to save thousands, right? Here's my second headline. One Cargill is better than another, whether it's Eric or Eric. Okay, I made a big joke last week about how I thought they should both be pronounced Eric or Eric. I will call them Eric and Arik, as I'm supposed to. All I'm saying is that one of them is better than the other. Now, depending on whether you're team black or team green, which one is better than the other is kind of really up to you. I will just say this. It is Eric, not Arik, that gets fed up with what's going on and helps Rainey's at least get out of the Red Keep. I mean, the rest ends up being up to her for sure. Uh, and it was a great stroke of luck that they got caught in that crowd sweep to get them to the Dragon Pit, the one place that she really needed to be. But, oh boy, did she make a show of getting out of there. Extraordinary dragon stuff. I love Maylie's. The first time we've really seen Maylie's, like, super close up. And I can't really fault Rainey's for having just a little bit of mercy on all of them. Probably because Allison got up there and stood in front of Aegon. And due to the conversation that they had earlier, that probably triggered that. But let me get back to my big headline. One cargo is better than another. And I leave it to you to let me know which one you think is the better one. The one that stayed Team Green or the one that left to go to Team Black. Again, Eric is now Team Black. Arik seems to have stayed behind and is Team Green. Although I don't think either of them are very happy with what's going on. Arik is more kind of a just follow the orders kind of guy. Those are my headlines. Here's just a little tidbit. Now we know the real reason that they had those attendance balls in the small council, right? They've been around all season. They seemingly served no purpose. But it's just so that somebody can shove someone's head right down on top of one of them and into their skull, as Kristen Cole did to Lord Beesbury. We pour one out for Lord Beesbury, who everyone is treated like a doddering fool pretty much the entirety of the series so far. And the one time that he gets a really good speech and a really meaningful speech, and he goes just a little bit too far, 
And, you know, Kristen Cole has a temper. He just couldn't take it anymore. I hate the way that they played it up kind of as an accident. I don't think it was show-wise intended to be something showing an intentional, but we've seen Kristen Cole be so angry before that he beat the Knight of Kisses to death. And naturally, with Beesbury just being an old man, it doesn't take much. Just forced him down. And now the guy's got something besides just his brain in his head when he's buried. A little extra weight for that casket. I do love how they picked up the episode, you know, the very next day. This is the way that it would happen after Viserys dies in the last episode. But I suspect with Talia giving the signal of the candles in the window that Masaria probably knew the king was dead before any of the rest of the council knew. One smart move that Otto did make uh, was he was pretty thorough. He just kind of locked everybody up, including Rainey's, so that the news wouldn't get out quite yet. He just, at that point, didn't realize he was too late, and, of course, found that out when he met with Masaria, the white worm, later. And we see Talia being taken to the cells, and Lord Laris uh, has some new tenants, and he's very observant, and he plays that as information that he can use to pay his monthly OnlyFans subscription, I guess. I'll have more on Laris in a little bit, but I do want to talk about Allison because since this is just focusing on the high towers and that side of the struggle that we're building to here, the greens, I was really surprised that Allison didn't know what the council was planning. When we first get that news, I was thinking, well, she seems to have been pretty much in command of the council the whole last episode. But as it turns out, they've evidently been meeting in secret, maybe because they thought she might reject some of these ideas and she seems to have legitimate concern for Rhaenyra so you have to go back and look at that dinner thing and say well that looks like everything there between Allison and Rhaenyra was genuine after all or at least Allison thought it was genuine but I just hope that everybody who has been trashing Allison for being quite so ambitious will see the totality of this episode right down to the near the end where she calls Otto out for not being the man that she thought he was, even though we've seen her kind of recognize him manipulating her when she was younger, for certain. But everybody's been trashing Allison for only marrying Viserys for ambition or for her father's ambition. I hope that you all will see in this episode that she is completely destroyed by the loss of him and probably because of the implications of what all this means now in regards to fearing for her own child now fearing for Rhaenyra as well now that they've made peace and that's got to be overwhelming but I was really moved by her emotion as the whole scene was going on with the silent sisters preparing Viserys and her placing the crown on it and of course there was a great heart-wrenching version of the Hightower theme. It just made all of that painful emotion from last week's episode kind of flood back into me. Um, Just seeing Allison's reaction and then the fact that she has to put herself together once again so that she can face Rainey's. I mean, I said it earlier, but excellent acting. Olivia Cook just knocked it out of the park this particular episode. And I'll talk about Rainey's 
in just a moment, but I want to go ahead and skip forward to Allison facing off against her father. I mean, this whole thing about finding Aegon, first of all, and I will get to that in a minute too, but at this point in the episode, I was loving how this Alicent seemed to be very true to the exact same kind of Alicent that was hurt by the fact that Rhaenyra had withheld the truth about Sir Criston, at least as far as the council goes. That look on Emily Carey's face when she hears what Sir Criston has to say about Rhaenyra and him, and a look here of Olivia Cook when she's understanding that the council has been planning this whole time seemed very similar to me. A feeling of being betrayed. A feeling that the very system, just like in the last instance, the very system that she has endorsed, has backed, has let her down. And by the time that she faces off with her father, you see that she has made plans. Plans that I would think would have to be thought out more thoroughly than just within a 24-hour period. So does that conflict with her emotion about what she's been feeling about everything else? Because if she's been planning it a while, it kind of defeats the purpose of being so against her father's proceedings. I mean, her plan is a little different, and it's definitely less violent, or at least the intentions are certainly less violent in regards to Rhaenyra. But you know what the road to Seven Hells is paved by. And then you get to the point of the episode with Lord Varys, where she is being quite hypocritical. A complete flip from where her position with her father was regarding Rhaenyra, as opposed to this position where she doesn't really tell him that she wishes for Larys to have Masaria taken out. Which, by the way, is that what that fire was? Was that Larys taking out Masaria's place? I didn't get the purpose of the fire. Somebody help me with that. Send your tweets to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. You can send emails to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com comment on the website, comment on the YouTube. But the fact that, you know, she gives him a little extra webcam time with her feet. Is that her giving him permission to kill Masaria? And that's what I'm getting to where these characters are presented in too much of an extreme within too short a period of time. And you may disagree with me. Tweet me, email me. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to be corrected if you think I'm wrong here. I would also like to be endorsed if you think I'm right here. But let's kind of zero in on the whole Alicent versus Otto thing in this particular episode where Alicent pits her guy, Kristen Cole, and her son, Eamon, to the task of finding Aegon before Otto, who has sent Eric and Arik to do the same. And of course, by the time we get to the Alicent and Otto conflict, we figure out that what this was about is who's going to have Aegon's ear in terms of how the crown will deal with Rhaenyra. But the seeking of Aegon is an adventure in itself, right? It kind of culminates in the point where Kristen and Aemon see Otto, who has been brought to meet with Missaria by Eric and Arik, because Missaria's people found Eric and Arik first. But I love the fact, just focusing in on that for a second, that Masari is holding all the cards, man. She knows where Aegon is. She has, you know, reasons for holding him so that she can make this demand that Eric and Arik had discovered in Flea Bottom earlier regarding the children. How sick is that? I love, love, love Masaria for making that the stance, making that the demand. I mean... In that moment, even though I've not had much to say about Masaria one way or the other, 
Huge Missaria fan right there. Human cockfighting, and especially children. And the fact that some of them are even his own children, probably. Bastards. I do not like the way that Otto responded to that by saying that he'll remember. Has Missaria met her fate? Again, I don't get what the context of that fire was. I don't remember what I missed here. I've only seen the episode once, but was that fire Missaria's place? Was that Otto remembering? Was that Laris taking care of Allison's wishes, so to speak, by her putting her feet up for him to be able to do whatever he wants? The one great line that Masaria says that really applies to the whole context of this story is that there is no power but what people allow you to take. Just love that line. And, of course, we have it culminating in Kristen and Eamon using their seeing the meeting so that they can follow Eric and Arik and get Aegon back for the queen. But that is essentially the place where the rift finally breaks between the twins, right? Arik is following orders, and he even fights Kristen Cole, which, you know, what kind of problems is this going to cause in the Kingsguard? Meanwhile, Eric is just like, nah, had enough. It's time to get the heck out of here. Or at least that's the way I think it went down. I'm still having trouble telling these guys apart. But either way, speaking of Eric, let's turn to Rainey's because she gets locked up at the beginning of the episode. But actually, when Allison comes and they end up talking, I mean... This becomes one of the scenes of the episode for me because I feel like that it is because of this conversation that Rainey's just doesn't just fry them all on that stage right there on the spot. I do love that she tries to instill the fear in them by letting Maylee's release, you know, a full out hot breath, even though there's no fire in it. It's just like, this is what you could have got. You remember that I did this. And why would she do that? Because the discussion that they had was incredible. I mean, there's gentle prodding and pushing and pulling on all sides. I just thought it was amazing. I can't really say that anything came out of it except the ending. But man, just some great words spoken in there. And coming from different perspectives, but respectfully, and both perspectives being very believable to me. And then, of course, Eric does come to show Rainey's the way out, the way that everybody in the whole Red Keep seems to know, but nobody uses or checks or guards, because Rhaenyra has gone that way. Damon obviously knew how to do that. Aegon's probably getting in and out that way. And the Kingsguard also know to get in and out that way. I guess if they're staying with any of these other people who knew, then they would know. But yeah, Eric knows the secret passageway now, too. And I love how Rainey's would never leave Melis. And the one dumb thing Eric did was try to fight her and force her down that way. Although it panned out for her because when they started getting forced with the rest of the crowd to witness the anointment of Aegon, they just so happened to have it at the dragon pit, the very place that she needs to go. And I understand why they want all of those people in there. They want all of these people to see Aegon as their king so that they accept it quickly. It's a good team green strategy. And they had no idea that Rhaenys was in that crowd. But boy, did it turn out bad for them because, man, she got that down there into the pit. I guess they didn't have any other exit way for Maylis to get out. Uh, so he had to come up through the floor. Perhaps that will be Aegon's first order is to rep- repair that place. Heck of a way to start off a kingship, right? But it was an incredible scene. I'll talk more about Aegon's coronation in just a minute. 
But while I'm talking about King's Guards, I do want to go back to the initial council meeting. Uh, again, Sir Kristen showing that his temper just gets the best of him. I love the gradual shift that you see on Sir Harold Westerling's face as things continually get said, as actions continually happen. The way that he holds Kristen Cole accountable for what has happened to Lord Beesbury. But then I feel like it takes a little bit more. He kind of backs off there once Cole puts away his sword or whatever, which I would think as Lord Commander, he'd just have that guy sent away. But maybe he's being ordered not to do that because the Queen ordered Kristen Cole to stand down. But as he continues to hear everything, he uses the best neutral excuse which is what a king's guard is supposed to be, neutral, right? You're just supposed to protect whoever the king or the ruler is. And he takes off his coat, and he does play it a little bit indignant, but they let him walk out of the room. Ain't nobody going to try and stop and hang him like they did Caswell and Fell and all of those others. But I just loved it when he ripped off his cloak and said, I'll be back when you actually have an heir or when you actually have a king. Because this is out of my job description. Will he come back? Hmm, interesting. Did he come back? I didn't see him, I don't think, at the coronation. But I could be wrong. Once again, let me know. At the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter. You can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. Want to briefly just touch on Helena. We got to see two children. They were adorable. I love them. I love her. Again, she has kind of a meta line where she says... It's a fate to always crave what is given to another. If one possesses a thing, the other will take it away. Maybe that was just a little bit too meta for y'all. I loved it. And then she restates that thing that she said at the dinner. There's a beast beneath the board, she says to her mother. Love that. What do you think she means by that? I'll tell you what I think it means. I think the beast beneath the boards clearly is Laris. Think about where Laris hangs out. Down in the cells all the time. What do we see Laris being really freaky about with? Or who? She's saying beware the beast beneath the boards to her mother. And she's talking about the beast that is Laris. Beneath the boards. Down in the cells. Underneath the red keep. The boards. That's what I think it means. Do you have another opinion? Tweet. Email. Leave comments. You know where. There was a little bit of humor in this episode, not much, one where Allison was calling Aegon an imbecile after he uh, was holding the dagger and asking if she loved him. The other moment that really stuck out to me was while Cole and Aemon were on their quest to find Aegon, uh, and Aegon remembered, when I was 13, I got taken down to this place, you know, so that I could learn what it is to be with a woman, and it turns out that the madam recognized him. Why wouldn't she? He's wearing a patch, for crying out loud. He was wearing a patch when he was brought there, I'm sure. But was she the one who taught him how to be with a woman? I kind of got that impression. At any rate, I just thought it was kind of funny. I also thought it was even funnier the, the way that Eamon reacted to it. Didn't seem to bother him. Or maybe I just interpreted it that way because I am forever team aim not team aim-off talk about Otto here for a second he can sure be intimidating can he when he's standing there at the throne telling everybody you know this is the way it is Aegon is going to be king and the smart people are starting to kneel but there's a couple that really stand for their principles which I really liked 
even though they do end up getting taken away. And we see poor Caswell hung by the time that Eric is helping Rainey's get out of the Red Keep. I feel like if he'd have just kneeled immediately like everybody else, he might have been able to get away. Although Lord Laris is always watching somehow. How do you think Lord Laris is watching? Kind of explains it a little bit with Allison, but he knew that Caswell was going to jump ship and go warn Rhaenyra. So that ends up getting Caswell a noose. The thing that I still don't quite get is what Laris was saying to Otto, proposing to Otto after they took Caswell away to hang him. I mean, we know Otto knows that he's been spending hours with Allison because he even points it out to Larry's. But then Larry says, that's no reason that those hours can't benefit Otto. I'm not exactly sure what that means, especially when you consider what a hook that Allison evidently has on Laris with his foot fetish. I kind of find it hard to believe that he's, again, I'm going to do a bad Sean Connery here, but I kind of find it hard to believe that he's playing both sides. There's lots about Laris to figure out. There's some stuff that's too much information, naturally. I mean, okay, if that's your thing, that's your thing. The fact that Allison's even willing to participate in that is a little weird in itself. But, you know, I'm sure that there's plenty of OnlyFan accounts and OnlyFan subscribers who would say, no, there's nothing wrong with that, which, you know, far be it for me to judge you. Someone that I almost feel like I have to judge, though, is Aegon, our new king. So should we play Aegon or Aegoth? And I have to say this once again, I just think there were too much trying of the writing in this. And if you watch the inside the episode, you'll also find out that actors wanted to make this kind of investment as well to make Aegon kind of more empathetic. And I feel like with that actor's acting, we did get that. I felt some empathy for Aegon when he was in person. But it's coupled with this horrific exposition about him between Eric and Eric that is just some of the most heinous stuff. Crimes towards kids. It just all jumbles together to me for me to say rather than say, well, you know, he's a bad person, but I still feel empathetic for him in this way. Instead, I just go, well, who is he? Because he is showing me this, but there's clearly evidence that that's not who he is all the time. And that clear evidence makes him completely sick. I mean, his fetishes make Lord Laris's fetish look, I mean, gross, of course, but not nearly as sick as his. And yet, as he's in that carriage and walking towards the coronation stage, it's powerful. And, and I do feel for him. I do see the weight coming on him. Really weird. But I just have to with that scene of those kids doing that and how disgusted Eric was and even Arik. Did they really have to go to that extreme to show that Aegon is not a good person? And again, it's all just so jumbled up. It just makes it difficult for me to say that I learned anything about him. Hence, one of my reasons for this episode being rated lower. If you're going to make me choose one, if you're going to put the metaphorical gun to my head, I'm going to choose Aegon right now. One, because he just doesn't want the role. Two, because, oh, God, that's just sick. So that's all I've got on the episode story-wise. I do want to point out a lot of piano was used in this episode, which I found very interesting and an interesting parallel 
the season six, the last the season finale of season six in Game of Thrones, where Ramin used a piano a lot, where Cersei was taking power. Not saying that Alicent is a parallel to Cersei, just the fact that the power is residing in a place where perhaps we feel like it shouldn't be. Ramin used that before in Game of Thrones, and there was a lot of heavy emphasis on piano this time around. Some amazing versions of the King's Arrival theme, uh, specifically done with that trio of horns when Aegon first stepped out at the coordination, and at the end, where the crowd was actually cheering for him. In between that was a lovely, lovely version of the Hightower theme, but very powerful version, probably the most powerful version that we've heard, even more powerful, perhaps, than Allison's entrance at Rhaenyra and Lenore's wedding. But the version of that theme that really got me this time was when they were preparing Viserys' body and Allison is there overlooking it. That one was a gut punch. As I said, it brought back all of the emotion that I felt last week. And we'd talked about a theme that might possibly be for Lord Laris in a prior podcast. This time around, it showed up in things that could still be related to him but I'm not really certain. Maybe it's more of a variation on the Hightower theme than I thought it was before. I'm going to re-explore that in our podcast later this week. We want your three words. We want your brothel mates. That's the best coupling. I'm going to give you mine here now, and then I'm going to tell you once again how to contact me. My three words for this week, just like I've been preaching this whole podcast episode, conflict of character. There's just too much in terms of extreme reactions within the characters within just too short a period of time, a 24-hour period of time. And I get that people would be imbalanced during a time of great loss like that of Viserys. And there's a whole agenda that has to be acted on immediately because of his death. I get all of that, but I just feel if I'd have seen all of that stuff strung out over a couple of episodes... I would be more resolved about a way to find empathy while still disagreeing with the character rather than just walking away completely confused. My best coupling for this episode. Oh boy. I mean, there's an obvious one here, right? If you wanted, if you wanted to go strictly brothel mates, but I'm not going to do that. I gave Lord Laris's fetish enough airtime this week. I think I'm actually going to do Rhaenyra and Alicent as my best coupling this time. Because that conversation, again, was a wonderful, riveting conversation. The push and pull in between the two of them. And I honestly believe that that's what saved everybody's butt on that stage at the end. Because Rainey's could have just taken him out. So those are my three words and my brothel mates. We already have some emails in regarding our podcast from last week. I'm going to save those. I'm going to share them in our podcast later this week. But I want to hear your thoughts about this episode as soon as possible. Remember, get them into me by 5 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesdays, and I will definitely include your thoughts in the podcast later this week. If you can't get them in by that particular deadline, then don't worry. I'll still see it. I'll still hold on to it. We'll share it next week. And here's how you... Get a hold of me at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter, Matt's audio blog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audio blog at gmail.com. 
comment at the website, or use the contact form there. That's mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. Or leave comments on our YouTube videos. Can't find the channel? Simply look on YouTube for the word before, The Dragon Podcast. We should pop up in your search results there. Hey, if you can, subscribe while you're there. Hit that notification bell so that you'll know when our new videos come out. Hit the likes on those videos if you like them. Don't if you don't. I understand. That's your choice. And if you really like this podcast, I'm asking a favor of you. You know, I don't pay any of my panel. I'm very fortunate that they are kind enough to spend as much time as I do recording those podcasts. I don't ask you for money for anything, for hosting costs or costs for rights for music or anything like that. And I don't put ads on these podcasts, although I probably could get a sponsor. I don't want to interrupt the content. Plus, principally, what if I get somebody who wants to advertise on my podcast that is related to something about a show that I'm finding that I don't like? It's kind of a conflict of interest. But I do want a payment from you. And here's what I want the payment to be. If you really like this podcast, share it with your friends. Share it with your own social media followers. Do those retweets on Twitter or post links for this podcast. It's so helpful. What can also really be helpful is that if you get us through Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that allows you to leave reviews or stars, please do so. Be honest, of course. Just tell us what you think of the show, really. But written reviews really help kickstart the algorithm and get us up to a place where we can have our community grow. We get a stronger community sharing their thoughts. And I love reading other people's thoughts because they're usually so much better than my own, as has probably been the case for this entire podcast. At any rate, I thank you for listening. I'm going to conclude now. We will be back later this week, not with the panel, but I'll have all of that feedback that you sent me, again, by tweeting at the letter B, the number four of the Dragon Pod, or by sending emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or any of those other ways. I've rambled enough. Take care. This is Matt. Bye.